Welcome to Advancing the Agenda. I'm your host, Michael Abramson, and today we're going to be talking about the nuclear option in the United States Senate. And we'll be talking about it in connection with a nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to fill the Supreme Court seat of the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And we're going to hear a lot of discussion about how the Senate has to do the nuclear option in order to move this nomination forward. Filling a seat on the U.S. Supreme Court is a two-step process, and it's set forth in the Constitution. The first is the president appoints an individual to fill the seat, and the second is that the Senate confirms this person through their advice and consent process. And it's in this advice and consent phase that we'll see the use of the nuclear option, or more accurately, the result of the nuclear option that was used on April 6, 2017, in connection with the confirmation of Judge Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. In the Senate, the advice and consent process is a two-step process, just like passing a law. And the first step is mandated, mandated by Standing Rule 22 of the U.S. Senate. And it states that before a nomination, before a vote on the nomination can occur, the Senate must pass a motion to end debate, a process known as the cloture motion, or invoking cloture, or preventing a filibuster. And the second step, once this cloture is attained, is a vote on the nomination of itself. And this vote requires 51 votes to pass, a simple majority, in order to confirm the nominee. The nuclear option is the process of reinterpreting Senate Rule 22 in order to decrease the number of senators needed to attain cloture from 60 votes to 51 votes. And the way the Senate does this is by using Senate Rule 20, which states that the majority of the Senate can overrule the opinion of the Senate parliamentarian by a majority of vote. So the nuclear option is basically a parliamentary fiction. It's changing the rules, even though everyone knows that it's the opposite. And a good way to think about this is an analogy to a football game. Let's say a team is down by four points at the end of the game, and they kick a field goal, and they make it, and everyone knows that the field goal is only worth three points. But the offense, the team that just kicked the field goal, says, well, you know what? We want to win the game. And they change the rules so that the field goal is worth five points. And that's basically what the nuclear option is. Let's take a look how the nuclear option happens in process. And the first point to remember is, is that the Democrats were the first group to use the nuclear option. And they did this on November 21st, 2013. And the majority leader got raised a question of order to overturn the rule or the precedent in question, which is Rule 22, stating 60 votes. And he said, does standing rule of the Senate 22 require 60 votes for cloture to confirm the nomination of judges except for nominations to the Supreme Court. The presiding officer, in conjunction with the Senate parliamentarian, said, no, standing rule of the Senate 22 requires 60 votes for cloture. Then the majority leader appealed the decision of the presiding officer and stated, are 60 votes required for cloture to confirm the nomination of judges except for nominations to the Supreme Court? And at this point, the majority leader is using Senate Rule 20 of the Senate that states that if a majority of the Senate or 51 votes over, can overrule the presiding officer or the parliamentarian. 
So the majority ruled that no, 60 votes are not needed for cloture, even though it obviously says in Rule 22 that they are. And the majority said that only 51 votes, or a simple majority, are required to confirm the nomination of judges, except for nomination to the Supreme Court. And the, the Democrats did this in conjunction with Judge Patricia Ann Millett to be a nominee for the United States Courts of Appeal for the District of Columbia Circuit. Now, when the Republicans took over, they realized, well, we can use this nuclear option as well. And they did so on April 6, 2017, in conjunction with the nomination of Judge Neil Gorsuch to the United States Supreme Court. But in this case, the, pre the rule or precedent in question was not the 60 votes as stated by Senate Rule 22, but rather it was this ruling on November 21, 2013, that a simple majority or 51 votes can be used for any Senate or for any judicial nominee except for those to the Supreme Court. And the Republicans at this point are figuring, well, why does it have to only be limited or limited, limited to district court and circuit court of appeals nominees and not to nominees from the Supreme Court? They're saying that if Democrats allowed this precedent to continue, it's as if there's, or they're allowing the rule, the, the people who are breaking the rules to say, well, you can break the rules in all these instances, except for this instance. So going back to, let's say, the uh, football analogy, it would be saying, well, you can make field goals worth five points in the conference championship, which we'll call the Circuit Court of Appeals, but you can't do it for the Supreme Court, which would be the Super Bowl in this analogy. So let's walk through how this happened on April 6th. The majority leader's question of order was, does the precedent of November 21st, 2013, which stated only a simple majority or 51 votes are required to confirm the nomination of judges, except for nominations to the Supreme Court, does this precedent apply to the Supreme Court? In other words, do nominations to the Supreme Court only require a simple majority or 51 votes for closure? And the presiding officer ruled that said, well, yes, the precedent of December of November 21st, 2013 does not apply to nominations to the Supreme Court. So the question on appeal that the majority leader they raised was, does the precedent of November 21st, 2013 apply to nominations to the Supreme Court? And the majority ruled that the precedent of November 21st, 2013 applies to nominations of the Supreme Court. In other words, they stated that nominations to the Supreme Court only require a simple majority of votes, or 51 votes, for cloture. And then cloture was attained for Judge Neil Gorsuch to move forward, and then the Senate ultimately confirmed the judge. When we move forward to Judge Kavanaugh, really the nuclear option was not used. And this is October 5th, 2018, because the precedent had already been stated a year earlier on April 6, 2017, that the number of votes needed for cloture in the case of a Supreme Court nominee is 51 votes. And this motion to invoke cloture for Judge Kavanaugh passed 51 to 49. And Justice Kavanaugh was then ultimately confirmed by the Senate in the second process or the second step of the nomination process. So when Judge Coney Barrett is going to be in front of the Supreme Court, uh, likely the week after this one, we'll see that 
we'll hear commentators talk about the nuclear option and that uh, Mitch McConnell is is putting forth a nuclear option in order to change this cloture requirement. And te while technically not true, you will be using the remnants of the nuclear option set forth on uh, April 6, 2017, in relation to Judge Neil Gorsuch. To close, I want to clear up some, uh, some vocabulary that one often hears regarding the nuclear option. And you'll hear people say that the nuclear option ends the filibuster. And technically, that's not correct. What a filibuster is, is a speech by a senator in order to postpone the vote for cloture. The, Senate, the senator will go on speaking for a long time to sort of put off that vote. Well, the nuclear option doesn't, it doesn't really end these practices. A filibuster can still take place after the nuclear option to, to get the vote for cloture to only requiring uh, an affirmative vote by 51 senators. That filibuster can still take place, but the requirement for cloture is just down to 51 votes. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to speaking with you next time on Advancing the Agenda.